Father God, we, we thank you for gathering us here this morning. God, we thank you for life. Just thank you for the ability to live another day, to have breath in our lungs and to have strength to just get out of bed this morning and drive to church, bring our families. Lord, we just thank you for life itself. And so it's easy sometimes to uh, overlook and to take for granted life and just the little things of life and good health. So, Father, thank you for that. Lord, we, we, we pl- pray right now for Ronnie as he um, comes to do a weighty task, which is to preach the Word of God. God, you've given him a message, and I just pray that you would give him supernatural clarity as he guides us as a church. And God, give him boldness and an unashamed passion to proclaim the riches of Jesus Christ. Lord, having the opportunity already to hear his message, we're, we're so grateful for him and the prep that he has given this week. So God, be with Ronnie. God, be with us as the listeners. God, would you just quiet our hearts, quiet our minds. It's, it's easy for us to just have minds that are going 100 miles an hour Um, thinking of all the things that we have to do today and tomorrow. God, so would you just remove distractions, uh, quiet our soul so that we can receive the Word of God and have that Word rooted into our heart and that we may be obedient to the Word that we are going to hear. Father, lastly, I just want to pray specifically for the person here in this room who has been in the valley and has been in a dark valley this week, and maybe it's just hanging on by, by a thread. God, for that person or those people here, God, would, would you just remind them of the nearness of God? They might feel that you're distant and far away. So God, through the word, would you uh, just refill their heart Um, remind them of the sweetness and the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that we serve a Savior who is near to the brokenhearted. So, Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this hour. We thank you for Ronnie as he comes and brings the word. Praise in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Danny V. What's going on, church? Good morning. Hey, uh, this is exciting. Just an opportunity to to just spend some time this morning with you on this side of the playing field. Um, and today we're going to dive into John chapter 15. We're going we're gonna to land the plane in verses 16 and 17. So if you have the word of God with you, if you have a device, whatever you use to read the word of God, I encourage you and invite you to please take it out and turn to John chapter 15. And again, verse 16 and 17. But before we dive into it, I just want to ask you real quick. I, you know, do, do you ever feel, do you ever, you're ever in, in an environment where, or, or, or a situation where you just, just feel so overwhelmed? You just feel so clueless about how things are going to get done. And I don't know about you, but, but you know, there, there are times, maybe, maybe I'll ask, do you at times wonder if, if you're doing what you're called to do? Or, or, or maybe you're wondering, maybe you ask yourself, uh, how do I know where I'm supposed to go or what am I supposed to do? Well, as I prepare for this message uh, this week, uh, God allows me to go there. 
And then he reminds me and takes me back to February 2014. Let me explain that. February 2014, 3 a.m. in the morning, I find myself in a van packed with 15 people driving through the dirt roads of Guatemala. Some of you were there. Right? And at 3 a.m. in the morning, as I look around, I see people doing what normal people do, right? They're, they're sleeping. <laughs> but for the slightly dysfunctional people like me, um, that is the time where we typically find ourselves dreaming, thinking, uh, and even talking, which is exactly what your Pastor Richard and I were doing when he asked me the question, Ronnie, if you were to dream big, what would you be doing right now? To which I responded, man, I want to do this for the rest of my life. I want to work for Hope Point. I would love to work for Hope Point doing missions. That was February 2014. We landed the plane. We got back to the States, and we moved on. Come October 2014, I received a call from the leadership here, and they're saying, hey, Ronnie, we just like for you and Liz to pray about the possibility about of you coming on staff full-time as our missions pastor. December 2014, by faith through faith and his grace, I, leave a, we, I, I left a 10-year banking career and started this new journey. Now, I remember the first week when I sat with, with Richard, and he hands me the missions budget. And he says, hey, we're so glad you're on board. Here's our missions budget, and here's the list of all our partners, and it's 63 different partners. And he says, hey, man, we're glad you're here. We just want you to go ahead and be the one that structures and develops and leads and directs us in our missions area. So what does a driven, achieving, achiever personality person say to that? <laughs> you got it. Absolutely. Come on, let's go. Let's start. And I remember leaving that day, and I went back home, and I walked in, and Liz, my wife, looked at me, because I had this weird, I just had a confused face. And she said, what happened? And I said, I have no clue what I just got myself into. <laughs> I said, I don't know how to lead a church in missions. I don't, worse, I thought it was a learning curve. I mean, go ahead and lead. I mean, I, I don't know anything about missions. I was clueless. You got to remember, I was a baseball player, turned banker, and then now a missions pastor. I had no clue where to begin. Well, here we are seven years later. And I hate to break it to you, I still don't know what it means to be a missions pastor. <laughs> I'm still just as clueless. I have no clue what it means to be a missions pastor, but guess what? God does. He does. And just let me just celebrate with you some of the things that only he can get credit and glory for. Because it's his doing. He continues to allow this church to mobilize people and send them out of these walls to launch ministries, to support ministries, to serve in ministries right here in our city. Some of our local ministry partners that, that God allows us to serve with, like Sidewalk Hope, Jumpstart, uh, P.S. I Love You, Carolina Pregnancy Center, English Crossing, and, and some others. And then we look at what he does globally at this church. Just this past March, you commissioned Sean and Leslie to go serve for two, three months in North Uganda. They went out, they came back. Praise God. 
Just in May, you commissioned a high school graduate by the name of Christian to go serve for two months in the Middle East. He went out, served, and by God's grace, he's back. Just in July this month, you commissioned a team to go and serve in the Middle East as well. They just got back last week. Last week, you commissioned a team of 15 to go serve in Alaska. They leave this coming Sunday. And then in November, we plan to commission a team to go probably back to the Middle East. And then he's given us the privilege to be a part of over 200 church plants and children's orphanages in the Southeast region. He allows us to partner with the Rice Bowls and Set Free and Silk Road Catalyst and so many other ministries. And it's really unique because, again, over the last several years, the last 17 years, God has sent out of here approximately 160 people to go live on mission in different parts of the world. Now, some of those have been short-term trips. Some of those are two, three, six months uh, stints. And then some of them have been long-term permanent moves to different parts of the world, world. So I'm often, often on my knees asking God, what, what am I doing? I'm clueless again. And he has to remind me that our, our invitation is to abide in him, trusting that the fruitfulness ultimately depends not on our gifting, nor even in our faith in Christ, but on Jesus and Jesus alone. So my hope today is that through the message, through the word of God, that the word himself will reveal himself in his word in a way that you feel encouraged as you trust that the owner of the vineyard calls us and also sends us out to whatever you're doing in life. Living on mission is wherever he has you and to the ends of the earth. So Father, do what only you can do through your spirit. And for your glory and the joy of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've been around church, then you're familiar with John chapter 15. You probably have heard. In John chapter 15 is where we find this beautiful lessons from the vineyard. And um, it's in that time, as a matter of fact, where, where, where I just want to let you know that hundreds of books have been written on, on the lessons from the vineyard. Uh, as a matter of fact, thousands of, of, of sermons have been preached about the vine and the branches. And as you begin to read chapter 15 in the Gospel of John, it becomes very obvious and clear that Jesus is very intentional about letting his disciples and us know that the life of a Christian is a life that is about fruitfulness and effectiveness. If you were to sum up the first 15 verses, you can sum it up in verse 5 where he says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. But verse 16 and 17 is huge because the last two chapters leading up to where Jesus is right now, whoo, chapter 13 and 14, they're up in the upper room with the disciples. Jesus begins to, they have their last meal together and he begins to, he, he, he washes their feet and he begins to talk about all kinds of things. He predicts Peter's denial. He goes ahead and calls out Judah. He goes ahead and says, hey, by the way, talks about the things of heaven, and I'm the way to the Father, and I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And then in chapter 14, the last verse, he just kind of drops the mic. He goes all over the place and tells them all these big things, and he just says, all right, guys, get up. Let's leave. And if you're a disciple, you're going, what in the world just happened? 
And then he leads them to Gethsemane. That's where they're going. This is the night before he gets arrested. So he, they're on the way, on the way there when he begins to teach them about the vine and the branches. And I want us to look at verse 16 because verse 16 and 17, I think, are a huge game changer for the disciples and for us. Huge encouragement. There are four things he says within those two verses that are huge, huge. And I think there are game changers for the disciples and for us still today. So here we go. John chapter 15, verse 16 and 17 says this. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask me in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love one another. Now, the first truth of encouragement that I see that, that I want us to look at and that I believe, as best as I can tell, that he was trying to tell his disciple is the fact that, hey, you did not choose me, but I chose you. He wanted them to know that he chose them and he chooses us. He's the one that chose us. He chose us. Now, this is very interesting to the disciples' ear. And the reason why is customary Jewish tradition and practice that a disciple will normally observe. They would pick out who, what rabbi they wanted to follow, what teacher they want to follow, and they would approach the rabbi. And here... Jesus is saying, hey, by the way, you didn't choose me. It would have made more sense to the disciples if he would have turned it around and said, I did not choose you, but you chose me. It would have made a lot more sense. But then that would have actually meant, I'm not bound to you. Hey, listen, it's your choice. You decided to come along and go on this journey. So when things get tough, which they will, by the way, things get really tough. When things get overwhelming, when things are, you're, you're not understanding the why, hey, don't come asking me for nothing. That's on you. You figure it out. Because I didn't choose you. You chose me. But he didn't. Jesus was trying to make a very important point to his disciples to help them understand that he was ultimately responsible for the choosing. And I don't know about you. But when I hear these words in John 16 and 17, just overwhelming peace and joy just, over, just, just comes over me. Why? Because it's, it's humbling and it's also precious beyond words to hear the Savior say, I chose you first. I chose you. Real quick, let's, we got to first look at, before we look at what he chose us for, we got to Kind of dive into what he chose us from. Because according to scripture, you and I, if we have not said, if we have not laid our faith, if we have not laid our trust, if we have not asked Jesus to be Lord and Savior, if we have not placed our faith in the Savior, according to scripture, it says that we're dead in our trespasses. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins. I mean, we were hopelessly hell-bent. Full speed until he called us by name and raised us from the dead. John 10, which is the chapter that God used to bring me to faith in Christ. 
In John 10, chapter 3, he says, The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his sheep by name. There's the choosing, and leads them out. Hey, I don't know about you, but praise God that Jesus didn't choose to die for us once we became strong. Hey, praise God that Jesus didn't choose to die for us once we started overcoming our sinfulness and got things straight. Praise God that he didn't choose to reconcile us to himself once we became friendly towards him. Praise God he didn't choose to even meet us halfway. Jesus took the initiative to choose us on terms of grace and grace alone. And he says, I chose you. Romans 5a says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I chose you. These are the crystal clear, simple words of Jesus himself. We got to let that sink in for a moment. I chose you. Now, the word chosen can be defined as to be selected, to be picked out of preference, preferred above others as the best or most appropriate. Now, anybody here doesn't like to be chosen for something great? We all like to be chosen, right? And, and, and it reminds me of what just happened over the last uh, uh, couple weeks. The 2021 Major League Baseball draft took place. And over the draft, over a two, three-day period, July 11th through the 13th, there were 20 rounds and 612 players that were drafted by 30 Major League teams. Now, these players have been evaluated over and over and over again by these scouts. As a matter of fact, countless hours of watching them and watching them perform and countless conversations and countless meetings, countless, like numerous psychological and personality tests are taken. I remember the year by God's grace, I was drafted and I was sick and tired by the time the draft came. Like, I forget that I'm gonna go to college. But it was, it's overwhelming. All that takes place, by the time a team chooses a player, they've studied everything about the way that player performs. And the reason why is because pro scouts only choose, only choose players based on their ability to perform. But when we look at the scriptures, when we look at how Jesus chose his disciples. When we look at what Jesus is to choose the disciples to be a part of his team, it's quite impressive, isn't it? Or maybe interesting. For example, we see Peter. Impulsive, irrational, and inconsistent. Always putting his foot in his mouth. He's the one that denies, ends up denying Jesus three times. We look at Matthew, dishonest tax collector, driven by greed. Peter, Matthew, Come join my team. James, known to be a hothead, at times acting without considering consequences. It's probably why he and his brother John got the name Son of Thunder. Hey, James, I choose you to come be on my team. John, known for initially having an overbearing temperament, which Jesus had to rebuke often and keep him in check. Hey, John, you can be on my team. Thomas, Oh, Thomas. We know Thomas. Thomas is the one that when the team got together to brainstorm, he always told everybody why things are not going to work. 
It's not going to work. It's not going to work. I'm so glad you shared that, Thomas. Come join my team. That's just to name a few. I'm not sure about you, but when I look at that list, I don't quite see the best prospect list. But as a matter of fact, the longer I look at the list, the more, if we're honest, we see ourselves over and over and over in that list. So I can't help but ask the question, why in the world would Jesus pick those disciples, people like the disciples, and people like you and people like me to go do anything for him? Why? Well, the second thing I believe he wants to let us, he wants to let us know is that going is not your idea. Hey, the reason I'm choosing you is because the going is not your idea. It's not your idea. John 15, 16, once again, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. So three things stick out there. Appointed, go, and bear fruit. So appointed. It's not your idea. I've appointed you. It's not like we go out and... Get involved in people's lives with the gospel because we thought of this. You and I didn't think of this. It may sound like a good idea, but that's one credit you don't want to take on. All right? It's it's, it's a good idea, but it's his idea. It's his plan. It's It's his eternal plan. And as we go out and more increasingly formed than ever now, we will be asked, what authority do we say these things? And what authorities? What business is it of yours, how I live my life? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to come tell me that Jesus is the, is the way for me? Who, are you, who do you think you are to say that Jesus Christ is my answer? Well, as a follower of Christ, we do know that Jesus Christ is that answer. He's the one that sends you, and he's the one that told you to speak in his name. But the interesting thing is that Jesus chooses unconditionally. He says, I want you on my team, not based on your performance, but based on mine. And when Jesus chooses his disciple, he appoints them to do the good work that is prepared beforehand. And that's the promise of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And it should really fill you with hope. That whatever kingdom labor the Lord appoints you to, whatever you do for his glory, you don't bear the primary weight of figuring it all out. The Lord who chooses you is fully capable of leading you to that that he appoints you to. And this is what Jesus wanted his disciples to understand. You did not choose me. He wanted his disciples to be sure about the fact that, hey, your presence in doing what you're doing, I'll take responsibility for that. I know you've agreed to follow me. I know you dropped the nets, you dropped the tax, I know you dropped it, and you've, you've agreed to follow me. But deep down in your hearts, I want you to know that I'm the one that laid claim on you. I claimed you. And so it is my honor that's at stake, not yours. I chose you. I appoint you. He wanted to encourage them, and he wants us to encourage us today that he is for us and will help us. He chose us for the work, so if his honor is at stake in our success, then we can rest assured that he will pour out his best power to make us fruitful for his glory. Now, 
Second word that sticks out there is go. So appointing and go. Now, the word go comes from the Greek word hupago. And the Greek word hupago means to depart, to go away or withdraw as if sinking out of sight, to move along. When you read through the gospel, one very interesting thing is that we always see Jesus on the go. He's always moving somewhere. That's why it never gets old for us to week after week after week after week say, we want to help you to applaud God, to follow Christ, and to live on mission. Because it's always about the next person that God leads us to. It's always about the next place that God leads us to. Whether that's our neighbor, whether that's someone at work or at school, in our city, in our nation, to the end of the earth. But why would he always ask us to keep moving? Well, because there's fruit to bear. There's fruit to bear. Jesus is saying, I want to grow something that is not there yet. He wants us to bear fruit. And just how important is fruit bearing or just fruit to Jesus? Well, he mentions it nine times in the first 17 verses. So I think it's somewhat important to him. He mentions it three times in verse 2, twice in verse 4, and as you see there, one in verse 5 and 8, and then twice in verse 16 again. And then as we look through the New Testament, the actual word fruit uh, is used about 66 times, mostly when it's used defining the character of the fruit being evidence of the character of the power producing it. Jesus wants us to bear fruit where fruit does not exist. This is the team that just got back from serving in the Middle East that you, you send out a couple weeks back. Some of them served for two months. Some served for two weeks. Some of us were in just a week. But they serve alongside one of our mission partners. This is a local church in the Middle East that is led by a local pastor and their staff. And they're strategically placed by the grace of God within 10 miles of the Syrian border. That's where God has taken us to go there with his team. And with the help of long-term workers and volunteer short-term teams like this, uh, they get to serve a community of close to 200,000 people where 98% of the population is Muslim. It is... A, uh, a heartbreaking experience when you go, in the sense of, you know, the reality when you hear us say that the heart cannot grieve what the eyes have not seen, you cannot go and sit down in one of their homes of these Syrian families where all they have is just a block, sometimes mold on the wall, and you just sit on the floor. They have very little hungry family of Five to seven, they only eat once a day sometimes. In the winter, it's extremely cold. They don't have heat because the houses are not, are not heated. There's hopelessness. You see the injustice. You see how they feel unloved. They're the marginalized in that area of the world. 
So how important is it to bear fruit? How important was it to bear fruit for Jesus? Well, it was so important that he died on the cross so that fruit will grow where there is none. As a matter of fact, he spoke of this, like I said, the night before he was arrested. And that night, he tells his disciples, here's the plan. And here's how you're going about doing it. And it's interesting because people always wanted Jesus to stay. They always wanted Jesus to stay and heal. It's like if they say, hey, Jesus, stay. Would you stay? We'll build up. We'll build a hospital. And you can say, hey, there's many people you can heal. Many people. But Jesus was always on the move. As a matter of fact, whenever you have time, look up the map of Jesus' journey, his ministry over the three years. I get fascinated by, I mean, I'm just fascinated by Paul's when he goes on his missions journeys. There's lines everywhere in those maps. And you know what those lines represent? Cupago. Go. See, our authority is his call. And our goal is the growth of his kingdom, which he will provide. Then he says, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Which leads us to the third thing that Jesus wanted us to know. Going develops dependency. As a matter of fact, Jesus mentions this in, previously in verse 7. Which means he really wanted us to pay attention here. And he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Here, dependency, we're talking about prayer, abiding in prayer. Because the branch has no hope without the vine. God calls you to things that are much bigger than you. And unless he blesses it, we will fail. We will fail. This is the city where the team just got back from. Before 2011, the population there was about 60,000 people. In April 2011, as you remember, there was a civil war in Syria, sending lots of people to flee. By winter time, this city had over 3,000 families that had arrived to their doorsteps. Now, you remember now, a Syrian family is minimum five to seven people. So 3,000 families is a lot of people, and it kept growing and growing and growing. Why? Because that's what it looked like during the Civil War. In a city that at one time was 60,000 people, grew today to hold a population of approximately 200,000 people, and they're there. Stuck. They wanted to go back home and they can't. This is a ministry that is taking place by God's grace where they're understaffed, they're under-resourced, and they're overwhelmed. The emotional, the physical, the spiritual darkness and needs are beyond comprehension. So what do you do when you're understaffed, under-resourced, and overwhelmed? You depend. You pray. You pray. There's one unique thing that this staff does every single day. Before they walk outside of the doors of that church, they meet 
and they pray. And they believe that if they're not willing to pray, they're not willing to engage. And they pray every day. They pray. When we look at Acts chapter 13, what was the church doing when Paul and Barnabas got the call? Man, they were depending, praying. So how powerful is prayer? Well, again, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, we can take that out of context. Okay? If we're not careful, all right, that does not mean, claim it, that does not mean if you pray for it, it's going to happen. That right there, my friends, is a BMW 5 Series Motorsport copper fiber body, 740 horsepower machine or beauty. It's about $180,000. One of our staff members here, Chris, who used to work at BMW, has a friend who still works there, and his job is to put 250 miles daily on that puppy. I know. I'm so sorry. Feel bad for him. We'll pray for him today. <laughs> 250 miles every day. So in asking God, can I ask God for anything? God, for your glory. <laughs> <laughs> who wouldn't want this car? I can tell you who does. I can tell you who is praying for this car. She's praying. She's praying today for it. I hope Mel's not in here. Oh, she's right there. <laughs> hey, Mel. <laughs> I'm just kidding. She's not praying for this car. She is not praying for the car. But she would put 250 miles if they gave you the chance. Wouldn't you? <laughs> My point is this. My point is that everything you need to bear fruit, where God appoints you to, if your motive is to bear fruit for his glory, for the Father's glory, he will provide what is needed. Why? Because our strength is in his power. And in abiding, in depending, we get to experience that power. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That verse speaks dependency. By remaining close to him, we acknowledge our dependency of him. If you depend on yourself, let me just tell you, you get only what you can do. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's not much. But when you depend on Jesus, you get what God can do. Look at the promise Jesus, once again, makes to the dependent person. It will be done for you. So how do you know what to pray for or how to pray? Well, the more time we spend in his word, the more time we spend reading, hearing, seeking the word in his word, then the more we get to see and begin to pray for the things that he wants for his glory. But if we choose not to read his word, if we choose not to hear from him, if we choose not to do the things that help us to abide, then you have very little desire and will spend very little time praying for things that are about his kingdom. And you'll start praying for things that are yours. <laughs> Next thing it leads us to, which is the final thing, that I believe Jesus wanted the disciples to know, is that going displaces love. 
wherever he appoints you, when you go, is to display his love. Look again at the final part. Verse 17, this is my command, love each other. See, love must be a distinguishing mark of a disciple, follower of Jesus Christ. He says in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's like Jesus is saying, hey, I'm, co- I'm commanding all these things to you guys so that you'll have the opportunity to display my love. I love the quote from John Piper, the most winning and powerful witness we can give is the reality of love. The reality of love. This is a meal that I had the privilege um, to be a part of with a, a Syrian family who fled from Syria after bombings. They were sitting in their house and the mom was holding the baby, a baby, and there was an older daughter. When an airplane went by, dropped, bombs went off. The explosion was so powerful that the baby flew out of her hand. She had no clue where the baby landed. Found the baby crying, but couldn't find the daughter. Neighbors came running. They hear some sort of crying. They pull the rubbles out, and they find the daughter underneath the rubbles with her head split open. Now they're in the city that we went to. Got to be careful I don't say it. But now they're in that city, and they've been there for several years. And here's something that she said. Thank you for you Christians who keep coming to share stories of hope and to love us because no one else does. Our motivation is his love. It's his love. It's his love. Greater love has no one than this that to lay down one's life for one's friends. And obviously there he's speaking about the cross where Jesus laid down his life for our sins. Changing our status from guilty to forgiven, from unclean to clean, from rebel to friend. But that's where it all started. Everything we do in life flows out of that. Out of his love for us. Everything. 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 So in closing, I just want to let you know that when we're willing To abide when we see that God is the one that chose us. When we again acknowledge, abide, abide, and believe that the going is not our plan. And that in going, it will develop a dependency in prayer for the purpose that we may be a display of his love. When that happens, God has no limit in your life. No limit. Don't limit God. And I say that because that's what happened with Christian. Christian went to spend two months. And God gave him the idea of how can I develop relationships that give me the platform to share the gospel. And a simple thing as a yo-yo. Christian, if you haven't seen him do his yo-yo tricks, I mean, it's, it's worth paying for. <laughs> He's really good. But he took a simple yo-yo, took it to the Middle East, 
and began teaching classes that allow him to develop relationship and allow him to display God's love, which led to gospel conversations. Because of a yo-yo. Do not limit God. He can use yo-yos for his glory. So I just want you to hear that. I want you to hear that the owner of the vineyard who calls you and sends you out is with you and is for you today. Let me pray. Father, um, even those words coming out of my mouth, uh, too much, just grace on top of grace. That you would choose us when we should have been passed on. You said, no, I, I chose you and I love you. Then you choose us and you invite us into going and bearing fruit for your glory. And you just don't send us out. You say, hey, go bear fruit. And then you tell us, hey, it's on me. It's on me. Everything fruitful in our lives is an overflow of who you are in our lives. So this morning, we want to say thank you for choosing us. And for that person that's here that has never placed their faith in Christ, I am begging you, God. Would you draw them to yourself? That they may come and see that they don't need to wait to they clean up. They don't need to wait to anything. That, that your love, you chose, you chose us before. You chose us while we were still sinners. So God, would you allow them to see, open their eyes and their, hear, and their ears to hear your love for them. I'm begging you that today. For the saint that's here, the person that needs encouragement today. They may be in an overwhelming situation wondering, what in the world did I get into? <laughs> You're so faithful. And you remind us that you do the appointing. So give them strength. Give them the faith to go and bear fruit for the Father's glory. Believing that you're with them, that you're for them. And for this church, thank you for what you're doing. You can only get the credit for it. All glory to you. We just get the joy of being a part of it. Would you please continue to bless this church with your favor so that many, many more will be equipped and launched to go outside of these walls and into our city, into the ends of the earth, from our city to the nations. For your glory and our joy, we pray in his name and his name alone.